You ever go to church and like have a crush on the keyboard player? Oh, maybe that's just me. It's allowed. It's my wife. If anyone else said they had a crush, we got a problem here on the keyboard player. Okay. You're welcome. <laughs> she loves when I point her out and draw attention. Yeah, 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 for sure, right? That's why in any, any couple, there can only be room for one attention hound, and unfortunately, that's me, and God has to work on that. Let's grab your Bibles, if you would, or open it on your phone or whatever way that you would see that, please. We are going through the book of John. Today, we'll be covering... Chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. So turn there, and let me just pray this, Lord. I pray that you lead us and direct us, and, and uh, the way that this works is the Holy Spirit is the teacher and the counselor, the comforter, the convictor. So I just pray that you would give me the words you want said, Lord, and shut my mouth on things you don't want said, and that it would touch the minds and hearts of people you brought here today that we would all grow to become more like you, Lord Jesus, and more grateful and humbled by your love and your sacrifice and your grace. So we just pray this with grateful hearts, Jesus. Amen. Okay. John 2, it's kind of quiet right now. I feel like I should make extra noise. Verse 13. You ready for it, Malia? Okay. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So where we were, right, Jesus and his disciples, they went to a wedding. If you've read this before, at that wedding, Jesus turned water into what? Wine, Wine right? And, and then it says that Jesus, his disciples, his mom and his brothers and sisters, his family, they all went over to Beach party, I think, right? They went over, over to Capernaum, right, is where it was, and it was right there on, on the sea. And now it says they go from there, some undetermined time later, up to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was you know, far down as far as north to south. However, it was an elevated city, right? So we see that. So they go to Jerusalem for Passover. Help me out if you studied this before, just, just quickly, um, Passover. So let's talk about that for a second. What's Passover? Part of the Jewish heritage, right? So it's it's one of the three um, three festivals in which which all the Jews throughout the kingdom and the world would come. Where would they come to? Jerusalem. They would pilgrim pilgrimage back. So they were one of it was the first of the three pilgrimage festivals. If I could use the right word there, and so. This city would be bursting at the seams because everyone would come back. And what did it com commemorate, this Passover? Yeah. Exactly. Well, what's so important, guys, I think what's encouraging is you ever feel like you just need constant reminders? Like, man, I could forget so easily about anything, but especially the goodness of God. Right? As a matter of fact, anyone whose life has been invaded by God should have some kind of story about how God's come into their life and what he's done. But it's so easy to forget that. So the Jews at this time, as commanded by God, would create these festivals to remember something. 
So the Jews at one point in time, like Orion said, they were enslaved in Egypt. And he sent Moses, remember that guy? He comes back in. He's like, you've seen this in movies, let my people go, right? Like, yeah. So he goes in, tells the, tells the Pharaoh, like, the God of Egypt, right? The God, the creator of the universe and everything. He is, he's upset. He wants you to let his people go so they can go home. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, psych. Yeah, psych. So eventually, he sends death over their land, over the firstborn. And he commands all of his people, the Jews, to spread what over their door frames? Blood, right? Kind of like to say, no, someone's already died for this. This lamb. And that, that uh, death came over the land, and all the people who didn't have the blood over their doors, their firstborn died, including the Pharaoh's firstborn. So heartbroken, he finally let them go. But then he changed his mind, right? He forgot too. He needed to be reminded, this is the God that can kill all the firstborns in the land. And then he decided to do something stupid. He chased after the people. And they thought, oh, we got him now, right? They're going to go into it towards a sea. We're going to trap them. Either they can drown or face death by the spear. But then God, what did he do? What did God do? He parted the sea. I mean, like made it dry enough they could walk on, right? They crossed. The Egyptians followed. Then what happened with the waters? Like the coolest movie you've ever seen, right? Splash down, takes out their army, delivers his people out of Egypt. So they commemorate this whole thing, this Passover, our God is so good, not only would he kill all the firstborn in the land for us, but he has the power to pass us over, to forgive us, to, his grace and mercy is so great. So they'd all come to Jerusalem for that. Okay, now where would they go when they, when they came to Jerusalem? One of the places they would go would be the temple. And what was, what was the temple for? What's the whole point of it? Worshiping. What's that? Sacrifice. Sacrifice, you were going to say? Yeah, because, it, it, you know, one of the things that you can see is uh, it was the house where God was, right? It's where they believed that God dwelled. And so the people would go to where God was and do all the acts of worship. Uh, here is a picture that I know you're not going to be able to see that well, but here is kind of an artist rendering of what they believe it looked like. So if I was to go back, so when Jesus went there, he went to the temple. And the temple was that whole set of land. And there what he found was they, there was people who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. So let me, let me just show you here. We're going we're gonna to walk up here. You might be able to make out, uh, you can see there's this exterior wall here, right? And inside that, there's a very large courtyard. And then within that courtyard, there's more buildings and smaller courtyards. And so what kind of would happen is, you know, the, anyone who was not a Jew, they couldn't make it any farther than this outward courtyard, which is marked by the letter E here. And it would be called the, the court of the Gentiles. So if you weren't a Jew, that's about as far as you could get. Women, you could go a little farther, right? There's a, there's a place where the women could get into. The men could go a little farther. If you were priestly, you could go farther. And then there was the Holy of Holies, right? Where, where only the high priest could go 
on a limited basis one year to atone. So what was happening is, imagine this. You're throughout the world or the empire. You're coming back for your religious festival. You need to offer some kind of sacrifice because there's a sacrificial system. Poor or rich, it doesn't matter. And here's where humanity does its magic. They're like, we got an idea. Convenience, we'll sell this. Hey, so you don't have to carry your oxen with you. You don't have to bring a pigeon with you. Guess what? Come on over right here in the, in the courtyard of the Gentiles. People set up businesses where they sold you the creatures in which you could sacrifice. So they had sellers of pigeons and oxen, right? All this stuff. Hey, you're in luck. Well, do you think they charged a fair price for that or do you think they were making a lot of money? Yeah, they were making a lot of money. Right, people, we do this, okay? And then there was money changers. So you had money throughout all the land, but according to you know, what was commanded of, of the Jews at one point in time, they told everyone, because of the purity of the silver of our money, you need to uh, do a currency exchange. So whatever money you have where you come from, you're going to come here, we'll have money changers, and these money changers are like, I'll trade you this many of your currency for this much of the currency that you need to offer a temple tax. Because every male 20 years or older had to do that. Do you think it was a fair exchange rate? Uh, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah, probably not, right? Even Linda, when Brandy and I went international for the first time, she gave us fair warning being a missionary going all over the world. You have to be careful where you go to exchange your money. It's true, right? And so she would give us tips on a more fair place because you would see that if you travel internationally, that these people would have a, a, a certain exchange rate and sometimes it was inflated and those people would make money. So that's what's happened. So Jesus comes in, he sees this huge marketplace, all these people in this courtyard ripping everyone off. So in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen, sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. I know that's not a thorough explanation, okay? But that's not the point of, of what we're going to talk about today. I just want to paint the picture for you. So Jesus made a whip of cords, and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Side note, interesting enough, you have all these Roman guards there. These dudes would love to take out any Jew they could for breaking the law. How in the world did he get away with this? Because you see the movie, and he's like, ah, throwing a fit, throwing tables, right? Like, how did he do this in such a way that the only people that were upset were the religious leaders, right? I'm curious for the scene because everyone paints a picture for you. So I'm asking like, Lord, man, this is interesting. Makes a whip, drives them out. In verse 16, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered what was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And anytime it says they remember what's written, then that was, they're taking that from somewhere else. I think, I didn't write it on, I think it's Psalm 61, I believe, but I'd have to check that, is one of the places where they took this for. But, but to show that he was the Messiah, he had to demonstrate zeal for his father's house. So there's a prophetic element to this, where a prophecy has been met by what Jesus just did. 
So the Jews said to him, right? They come up, he does this, he does this prophetic thing, and by doing that, basically he's saying, yeah, I'm the promised Messiah in a subtle way. So according to their nature, some of the Jews and their, their leadership comes up and says, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Like, prove it. Right? That's, that's, that's so funny because that's what I was about to say. What sign do you show? And you guys, got, you guys got to help me, okay? Because I understand I used to be up on the current slang of the day, but now my current slang is now old school, right? Or nostalgic now. So I, I need help with this. But it's exactly that I was going to ask. I really think what happened is, correct me, so these, these Jewish leaders are like, what sign do you come by? I really think Jesus is the one that said, bet, like I'll show you, right? Is that how you use it? Or would they say bet to him? He would say bet to them, right? That's the way that I understand it. So, so basically, that's kind of what happened. They're like, prove it. And he's like, bet, I'm about to show you, right? And then he says, he answers them, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. And not too different if a young kid said this to you, Sue. They're like, bet, you wouldn't know what they meant, right? Okay. The same thing happened with these Jewish leaders because, wait a second here, you know, it's like, Jesus answered them. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And they're like, what? What? So I want to keep going, but I, I studying this, praying about it, it's like, let's, let's pause a second. Because Jesus is about to do what I like to call taking it to a whole nother level, right? And Jesus has a way of doing this. He's about to take it to a whole nother level. However, the level that he's at still has a great lesson for us. So I want to stop a second and ask this question. So there's some lesson for us, something to learn or some kind of direction from Jesus' actions in cleansing the temple. Okay? And I, I really long that the Lord would lead me as your pastor to try to return to the best of our understanding, to his intention for what a fellowship of believers is, right? You guys are the body of, of Christ. This is the church, the ecclesia. This is the assembly of those who, who have been called out by God, those who God has met, interrupted their lives, and said, hey, I'm real, and you're here either following him or investigating it, and, I, and I'm glad you are. So I'm asking, and I know that all the leadership of every church is asking like, okay, we have to be careful here because there's something at play with the house of God and what you do there. Okay. Question. Why was Jesus so upset? Why did he command them to stop selling and, and trading in the courtyard? Yeah, they weren't respectful of the important things that were going on. Yeah. Possibly misrepresenting God. Yeah, yeah. They're ripping them off. They did it in a dishonest way. Yeah. They were using the name of God to make money. Yeah, then they couldn't be trusted because of what they were doing. So here's the next question. And this should not be somewhere along the way you thought this was the pastor's questions, but they're really not. This is for the church, right? Because I'm here to equip and enable you to do ministry, not to do ministry for you. 
Do you get the difference? So all of us that are doing ministry, we need to ask this question. Is there something we're doing in our gathering of people? See, I'm trying to get away from the church word here because I want to I rewrite it back to its truth. So there's something that we're doing in our gathering, what we're calling the ridge, our gathering of people Jesus has called out, or our church, that Jesus would have to stop if he was here. Because whether you know that or not, one of the predominant problems with our culture in our day and age is we are such consumers and everyone really cares what you think when honestly what you think does not matter, right? But everyone cares. Every restaurant really wants to know what you think. Every movie star really cares what you think. Every person in the limelight really cares what you think. As a matter of fact, even the schools have to care what you think because every dollar is a vote and a cancel call. Anyway, there's so much trash, but ultimately it happens in church. Most of the people that come here are like, I'm here to see what you're going to do for me. Right? Guilty. I think I've done that, Ghana. Is this, am I a, is this a right fit for here? It's kind of like marriage, right? You get married because it's going to be hard and it's going to change you. And if you ride that pony, right, you're going to become a transformed person. If you jump off, you're going to short circuit it. It wasn't because you married the perfect match for you. It's because you two learn together how to build a life and how to love that person more than you love yourself. In the church, which is the bride of Christ, it's no different. And by all means, I, I get it. There's preferences. I'm weak. You're weak. We got small brains. We don't understand. We're, we're, we're not strong. So, so it's hard for us to overcome certain things that God would overcome himself. Okay? However, this assembly, right, is not about the pleasure of the people, but about the pleasure of God. So there's not a simple answer for this. But before we move forward, I think each one of us have to ask, like, okay, is there something, God, that we're doing? It's easy to point fingers. Well, this church does this. And, and, and I think if you can follow the logic here, if you're in a consumer culture where even churches have a hard time saying, uh, you know, please, please give money to support our ministry. Because if you think it's too hot right now, it's because we're burning energy with electricity. Or if it's too cold, that's happening too. And did you like the coffee? And are you glad that I was able to study the scripture all week and share it with you? You know, and did you want the projectors to work? And all this stuff costs money. And so in the consumer culture, churches are constantly saying, well, what do we do to make money to support the missions of the church? Right? So what do they do? Please people. Or come up with creative ways to do it. And I, I'm, not, I'm not shaming them for doing that. But where are we crossing a line? Where are we crossing a line? We can't just read over that. And, Here at the Ridge, we never crossed that line. I don't know. Was it okay to have a bake sale? I, I don't, for missions? I, I'm not sure. Could we... Can we sell those hats for donations for missions? I'm not sure, right? Could you have a coffee house here or a, or a daycare? Or I, I mean, these are things, right? The Holy Spirit has to, has to speak to each one of its gatherings about what's true. And not because truth is relative, but because we have to be ready to receive what's true in the context of where we're at. Would, would Jesus have been mad if they sold sacrificial animals at a very, dis, a very affordable discounted rate? I don't know. Yeah. 
What's the heart behind it? Is, is always a Jesus question. What's that? And there you go, right? We like, instead of like the animal that, that loved, it wasn't my first and best anymore. Now it was something I bought. Like I've been pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> How cheap is that skinny pigeon? I've been a very good boy. Maybe, maybe that will do all that I need to get my sin washed away, right? Yeah. Okay. So it's a question that I don't necessarily have an answer for, but please understand is what I'm always praying about. Because it's real slick in our culture, man. You guys want this place to look really pretty? Then you just figure out some other business to have in there that makes tons of money, right? That supports the church, and all the walls will be painted really pretty. And you have the swankest little designs on the wall. And Pastor Will's going to wear sexy girl jeans with ripped, yeah. Join CrossFit, get ripped, right, yeah. Right? Hair plugs or something, I don't know. But, and no offense to them, was it wrong to open one of those things? No, but the model is simple. You want to do it, do it. In human terms, you can play this game, okay? But what are we here for? It's that constant question the believers have to ask them. Okay, now let's take it to Jesus' whole another level. Okay, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And they're like, what? He's like, bet. And they're like, I don't know what you mean. I don't know what you mean. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? Understand, you read in the commentaries, there's debates about how long it took to build it. Okay. The point is, it took a long time. What are you talking about, crazy man? Three days? Is this the Lego movie or some kind of master builder and you're going to build this thing up and like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't raise it up in three days. Hindsight's beautiful, right? Hindsight being, looking back, it's always like, ah, now I knew what you meant, right? It's like 20 years from now, all the stuff your parents have been saying to you, and you're going to be like, oh, now I know what you meant, yeah, yeah okay. You know because you were looking back and you did it wrong, right? I thought you were crazy. And that's what these people thought about Jesus. He was crazy. But it says in verse 22, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remember what he had said, or remember that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Remember, John wrote this. Why? So that we would hear this truth, that we would believe, and by believing, we would have life in Christ. So he's given us the whole picture. Jesus said this. Do what you want. Tear down this temple. I will rebuild it in three days. And then he did it. Hear it? Try to believe it the best you can. And as you believe it, the more life you'll have because you'll trust him more. Now, here's where it gets crazy, right? So what, what we're learning here is Jesus is talking about the temple because we have hindsight. The temple is his body. Because when the temple did get destroyed, they didn't rebuild it in three days. But when his body was killed... He was resurrected, right, within the three days. So we know looking back what he was talking about. But here's another reality, right? So what you have is you have Jesus was the temple. All of God, the Holy Spirit resided in him. He was God. And then what we come to find out later on by, by what happened in Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and then his ascension, he explained to all his followers, like, I'm taking off, I'm leaving. Why are you going? No, you don't get it. 
okay? Because like right now, I might be the house of God, but I can't be everywhere. If I go to the Father, he's going to send all of you, the helper, the Holy Spirit. Wow. Okay, let's, I mean, I've said that and I've read it so much. It lost its wowness. Right here, Jesus' body was the temple. Once he went to the right hand of God, all those who believe receive God in them and they become the temple. First Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, if you're taking notes or watching this again back on YouTube later, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. At first, if I can say God will live in you, you're like, yes, sign me up, right? Yes. Okay. Asterisk. Now you're carrying the temple everywhere that you go. Wait, wait a second. Do you mean the way I used to have to act at the temple is the same way I have to act at Taco Bell now? Because the temple was present in both places. Yes. Oh, dang. Maybe I should have read that fine print before I signed on for this. Wait, the way I act at work in church, it's the same thing? Yeah. The way I act when someone wrongs me? Yeah. Ouch. Ouch. So you can take that truth to so glorify God in your own body, and I mean, oh man, what are the implications of that? So I think something that, that maybe we should be, let's just stop a second, wait, wait a minute here, okay? So what you're saying is, God lives in us now and not in like the churches and the temples. Like even in churches, oh, it's so good to be in the house of the Lord today. No, no. I should come up and say, it's so good to be the house of the Lord today. And it will be tomorrow on Monday. Right? I don't even know. So to be perfect, then I would have to, everything I do with my body, like the way I handle food, uh, sex, money, exercise, health, dressing myself, all these things have an implication because it's temple business now. Yeah. I can't, Ellie, I can't keep up with that, man. Good news. Jesus knew that when he moved in. He knew that when he moved in. So, but wait a minute. Okay, here's where I, here's where I really want to understand more, guys. I wish I, I, I had a, a once and for all answer for you, but this is one of those wrestling things. It's one of those walking out, what I would call walking in the spirit. Okay, we've heard that, and then we think that's only mystical spiritual things. And I'm assuring you, what's much more important to the, to the life of someone who believes in Jesus, that the spirit of God lives in them, is the day-to-day walking in the spirit figuring out what he's telling you to do and doing what he's asking you to do. Not to get his love, but because he loves you. Do you see this? So the question becomes this. If that's true, then why was Jesus so upset 
when, when they were at this temple place, right, doing uh, exchanges and commerce and, and making money. Why do you think he was so upset? There's, there, there's one definite reason. You, they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. So really, at this point in time, Jesus had that. He was the temple. But according to what we can gather, and once again, right, we could be wrong, but from what we gather from our reading of that, is something happened at this point where, yeah, God would meet them in the Holy of Holies. So where they were like, hey, this is the house of God. They weren't lying. It didn't contain God. He wasn't only there, but he showed up there. And so they were in his presence. So it was an extra holy thing. And, and so I think what, I can, I can see that, okay? What about this building? What about this building? We are the temple. So you get like 150 temples crammed into an auto repair warehouse. Now, I, I realize that when you leave, this is not, I mean, maybe you left some, like, Jesus glitter behind, but most of the power of God left with you, right? Like, when this place is empty, God isn't like, I'm glad they left. I'm going to wait till next week when they come back. No. He's going with you home or, or to lunch. I, I get that. But I think as someone who's, we're all in this place, um, we can be irreverent of this place because it's not the house of God, Right? There's still a purpose to what we're doing here, okay? There's a purpose that should honor God, but honestly, that purpose stays with you everywhere you go. Yeah. So I don't know if you can see that dilemma. The dilemma is how much you protect this place, like, like, you can't, like, well, I'm not picking on you, but, like, people are like, well, you can't wear a hat in here. Really? Why? Well, culturally, maybe they said that, but culturally, maybe they didn't. Oh, you can't preach in sandals and shorts. Why not? Well, aren't you want your best for God? Well, once again, now we're dealing with convictions, right? Personal convictions. Is someone wrong who's like, I got to wear a suit every time I go to church? No. Is someone wrong who's saying, I don't? I can't say yes, that they're wrong, right? This is where Paul is starting to talk about like, hey, bear with your brothers because even if you think you know better, right, then Jesus is patient with you, you're patient with them. If he really wants them to stop wearing suits or to stop wearing sandals, that's their business, right? And, and, and so now we're getting into all this gray area of like what it does, but, but what I can tell you for sure is the truth is we have to get away from the fact that like this is the house of God. No, you are the house of God. And that is a cop-out because then you think when you leave this place, all bets are off. Sorry, the road beer you have waiting for you in the car because you're just waiting till you get out of church is not the appropriate thing, okay? It's like you can't just leave here and then do whatever you want. So why are you mentioning this to me, Will? Because you guys are the church is something you should wrestle with. Personally, I have certain convictions like well, a kid can't run around here. I'm like, I want the kid to run around here instead of somewhere else. I heard a pastor say once, he said someone complained to him, did you see so-and-so on the worship team? They were outside smoking. 
He looked right at him. He said, well, what were they smoking? They said, well, a cigarette. He goes, good. You should have seen what they used to smoke, right? Like, like that is the body of Christ, right? And, and I think now what's dangerous about this is like, one, you can get too stuffy or you can get too permissive. Because the truth of Jesus was he always accepted people at first where they, where they started, but he in no way gave them permission to stay there. And the same goes with our building. Come as you are, but you're going to be challenged not to stay there. Right? Okay, I'm going to get into a different sermon if I don't move forward. Okay, so in John 2, you see Jesus bringing in the truth from God, Right? And we see him revealing who he is as the son of God. And then he's also overriding some of men's traditions. It's like everything, you know. If, if there's any theory in the world that exists, I assure you, if it's been around for a little period of time, if you went back to the author of that theory at first, they would be really disappointed in what their followers did with it. Right? Yeah, it's like I've read a book by a guy and the book was great, but then the people who took that book and made a whole belief system based on it, you're like, you guys are on crack, man. I don't, I don't know where you went. So this is what we do as people. They, they took these, these commands of, of God from to Moses, and then they went crazy with it, right? So Jesus is overriding some of that with truth. And all of that while fulfilling the prophetic words spoken about him so they would know he was the Messiah. So for instance, at the wedding that we talked about last week, and this wasn't really part of the sermon per se, but um, it was something that we got into on Sunday night. And you see what Jesus did is he went to the wedding and he took these vessels that were marked aside. Well, they're big, right? Vessels that were marked aside and what they were used for was ceremonial washing. It was this idea that they were, you know, clean pots, which you could use to take water from those clean pots and wash yourself, but not just physically, but also spiritually. And Jesus came to testify, really, throughout his life, there ain't no water strong enough to do that. You could bathe in pure bleach, and it won't make you spiritually pure. Make you something else, but yeah, it won't make you spiritually pure. So he took those. And wow, man, what an insulting thing to take their ceremonial washing tubs. And he turned that water into wine. And not grape juice wine, like the good stuff where the, guy, the head of the festival was like, dude, usually people bring the water down stuff later because everyone's already, you know, had their fill. But you're just bringing out the good stuff now. He did that. That's a, what a slap in the face to religion. What, my ceremony, you put wine in there? What if they get drunk, Right? And later he explains this. Later Jesus explains that what the wine represents is his blood. And that his blood is the only thing that can make someone spiritually pure. Wow, right? And they didn't see it ahead of time. I mean, later this is what we're thinking. And, but as you get the full picture, you're like, okay. Well, can I do anything, man? Maybe there's got to be a diet or something that get me spiritually pure. No, the blood of Jesus, like, is the only thing with the power to make you spiritually pure. And then now, Jesus is teaching that we're so caught up in all our religious things, 
and in our practices um, that it gets in the way of outsiders finding their way to God. An interesting thing about this situation is where the corruption was happening is in the court of Gentiles. Yes, every person were coming in, they would go through there, but where the corruption came was out where all the people who were investigating what was going on, who didn't believe, who didn't have that heritage, this was their first taste. And it might not be as profound to you as it is to me because I've been reading some stuff on this. Side note, here's what churches in the, in the West are finding. They got so focused on trying to attract people to come into the church that they offered um, the consumers a product which brought them in, and then they thought that they could, once they were here, they could convince them to go farther. The problem is the people never want to move beyond what you've advertised. So can you imagine this? Right where you're trying to invite somebody to come in, learn about the God of the universe, any Gentile or pagan who wants to change their life, and they come into this place, in this courtyard, and this is what they see. Wow. And what's happened over the last 30 years, this is what these people who are part of it, who kind of woke up one day like they ate something bad and like, I can't keep doing this because what we've done is the same thing. The world who needs Jesus, we've invited them in and we've put on some kind of weird spectacle for them. And as a pastor, that's crazy humbling. As a Christian, I think that should be challenging to you too. Oh, man, okay. So now Jesus is saying, you're the house of God. Everywhere that you go is worship, if done right, or rebellion, if done wrong. Everything you do, everything that you think. If you're me and you have a gathering of people, houses of God, uh, the truth is, like, we need houses of God here. But we need you to be who you are. And in, instead of what we get is people that come in, and I, and I don't mean to insult you, but everyone's like, well, yeah, I'm, I like music this way. Oh, really? Okay. If I played bagpipes up here, this place would be like 20 people in two weeks. Right? Okay, truth. Could you worship the bagpipes if you got used to? Yeah, if they played well. I mean, maybe not. You might really, it might have a medical issue if they're played wrong. But, right? But it wouldn't work in our culture. So in some ways, it's the same thing. Every time Jesus encounters these people, we're like, oh, those guys are so stupid. Like, we're so much more enlightened and evolved than them. And it's like, no, we're the same little sheep. Uh, right? Like, yeah. Now we just have different things that we're doing. And, and Jesus came to say, like, you can't do this. Like, I, I'm here to tell you all your religious practices get in the way. And so sometimes, periodically, you've got to ask yourself and ask the Lord, like, why are we doing what we're doing? 
And part of the reason, I think, is because the individuals haven't embraced this. We have to get away from this thinking that the, the temple, the tabernacle, the church is the house of God. And so my life here is separate from my life out in reality. And the problem with that, the problem for all the young people and the middle-aged people and the old people is the same thing. Everyone they know has the church life at the house of God and then the life that's so different away from the house of God. When the truth is, the ridge is the house of God only because all God's houses are here, but so is IHOP. International House of Pancakes and God, if you guys all go there afterwards, right? Like all those places, if we embrace that, then you're here not to get, but to give. Give what? I don't know. But to give. Look at all these Jesus houses we're missing right here. If we had them, we'd be better off because there'd be more Jesus here, right? If there's such a thing. But, but they'd have more Jesus houses that are giving and worshiping and praying, right? Like, you see, that, that is the point here. That is the point here. He's teaching us, like, you guys are so, like, stuck in this that it's a place. And once you think it's a place, it's open to corruption. Because if this is a place and I got to dress it up to be better for God, then how dare you have an unfinished floor right here? Well, you got $10,000, someone write me a check and I'll just fix it, like, instead of pay the electricity, right? No, like, so that, this is the house of God, of God's people. Yes, but that's because every one of God's people are God's house. And then you add that to this truth that Jesus just gave us with, like, purify all you want. Shower, dress yourself up nice, do all of that. It will never clean you from the inside out. Only the blood of Jesus. And why has the church got away from helping the people in the church to realize they are the church? Why have they gotten away from the people in the church to realize they're the ministers of the gospel? Why? Well, because we can't trust them or control them to do the right thing. So like every system that exists, there's those who are in the know, who love their castles on the hill, and all the people that have no idea what's going on below. But Jesus came and he went to the lowest and said, you're as important as anyone. You're made and created in God's image with a special purpose and plan. And are you perfect? No way. Is the person all gussed up and pretty up on the hill? Perfect. No, probably worse than you. <laughs> so what's the answer? The answer is that each one of us would know that. Okay, I'm going to say words and like doctrine theology experts might not like it, but I really don't care. That's not my job. My job is to speak truth to you. The truth is this. You want to see your life transformed. Actually live what you say you believe. Okay? And I'm pointing like a thousand fingers at myself. I'm an absolute mess of a human being in a lot of ways. Right? But God loves me. And he knows me. He knows there's something in me that he could entrust me to do this. 
even imperfectly. And the same goes for you. It may not be this. It might be something else. And please understand, I'm not getting you, I'm not trying to convince you to serve in the church. Like, I just want you to be the church. Because I think if a quarter of you really embrace this, that'd be something worth investing my life in. And it's going to be a constant battle to take our way of thinking from this is the house of God to I'm the house of God. And the only way that can be sustainable is if you do this. It's what Jesus already taught them. You want to be pure, I'm the one that makes you pure. So what, Will? So what, what do we do? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite the praise team to come on back up. And the cool thing is, please understand, this is just another lesson, conversation that we're having. We're going to keep going in John. But right now, see if you can follow me the build up here. Here's what I want to present to you. First of all, What Jesus did is he said, hey, man has been trying to do all these things to get pure and right before God, okay? For 400 years, right, the prophets weren't around before Jesus came. The men were left to, the men, the, you know, the families, the women, the households were left to figuring out what they could do to purify themselves and to be close to God. You with me so far? Inevitably, there's people that good good at playing that game. They get proud. Then there's people who, who aren't good at that game. What they feel is shame. Like, I'm not good enough. Something is wrong with me. That's what happens. So then Jesus comes and he has those two groups. Now he comes to say, probably to a bunch of the people who felt shamed, right, at a wedding, in, in, in a village where, where all the upper class folk don't live, right? So he comes there and he teaches them this lesson. He makes water into wine and he begins to tell them like, all that these guys have been trying to do to get you pure and go to me will not work. There is a way and it's me. I'm the way, Jesus said. And only through his blood, through his power, can you be made spiritually pure? Who wants that? And I, I need that. I mean, so many words like, I need to get purified. Like, I need stuff washed away that I've done wrong. Even this week, I, I need thought processes, all these things taken care of, okay? And if you take this, he says, check this out. You're not going to go to a house of God. You're going to become the house of God. Okay, now who wants that? But here's the, here's the danger. Now you're carrying the house of God everywhere that you go. Anyone else? Like, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can live up to that. And this is where, this is where the gospel comes in. This is where the good news is. Jesus is like, you can't but I can. 
And then you're like, no, well, Jesus, I don't know. You don't know how bad I am. And he's like, bet, I'll show you. Right? I mean, come on, Jesus, that's what Jesus is basically saying. Bet, show me. Give, give your life to me. Start doing the things I'm leading you to do. Go in the places I'll lead you to go. Watch what will happen. Watch what will happen when you accept what was given to you. You will become the house of God. And so when you go to the ridge, then yeah, God is there. And when you go to the International House of Pancakes, then God is there. And when you go play golf, God is there. And when you go to a football game, God is there. So here's what I want you to focus on. We're going to pray. Um, and in the prayer, it's, it's this. This is what I want you to focus on. Lord, I, I want to realize that I'm the house of God if you've accepted it. If you're not so sure about Jesus and you're here today, or maybe you were at one time and now you're like, I'm not so sure, would you please come talk to me? I'd love to pray with you. Not, not to pressure you, but to come talk with me. I'd like to talk to you more about that. But, but if you know that, what I'm asking you to do is really receive it. Because when you get a gift, it's not about earning it. A gift is something given to you that you don't earn. And the key to a gift is receiving it. If you never take it in, you never get it. So Jesus has come and earned it so that you can get the gift. And the gift is that you can be made pure. That you're, you can become the house of God. So if you want that, no matter what your background is, I would invite you just to pray that. Like, Lord, I want to be your house, and I want to learn what, it, what that means. Let's pray. Uh, Father, so many words. I just want to bring it back to this. Oh, Father God, you are, you've made us, and, and you love us. And Jesus, you came to save us lead us still. The Holy Spirit, you fill us, and we're so grateful. So Father, I pray over this time that your power and presence would be overwhelming, and that you would lead and do the work that you're doing. And so Jesus, I pray that I believe that you are my Lord, you are my Savior. I believe that you live in me. I believe that I am the house of God. I pray that you would lead me and what that means. I pray that you would lead me and how to walk that out. Lord, I pray that you would transform the way I think about this and just to think about the world in general. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And now, Lord, I ask that you would just have some time with, you, with all the people here today, Lord, to do the work that you have.